0: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later in the show we'll hear what song inspired solo artist, formerly of Chairlift, Caroline Polachek, to pursue a career in music. But first, a classic album dissection of Stankonia by Outkast, originally released on Halloween 2000.
1: The funky engine that could. Ooh, yoski, woski, piski, all aboard the Stankonia Express.
2: Yeah, brilliant record. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. A breakthrough record for the duo and also a groundbreaking record for hip-hop and music in general, pointing the way forward into the 21st century. For sure. Antoine Big Boy Patton and Andre Benjamin, otherwise known as Andre 3000. It's hard to imagine that these were just two kids in high school at one point where they met in the cafeteria doing rap battles in uh, East Point, which is a far suburb of Atlanta, is where they grew up they were quote unquote discovered by a fledgling production team known as organized noise mm. which went on to make numerous hit records with tlc as well as outcast and broke through in 1993 with a track called player's ball All the players came from away, and brains, the they got signed to that L.A. Reed babyface label La Face Mm -hmm. and broke through with that song and followed it up with an album in 1994, Southern Playalistic Cadillac Music. An album Uh, that's hard to say. It is. But, you know, when we think about hip-hop in early 90s into mid-90s, we're thinking East Coast, West Coast, Mm -hmm. right? The big, vast area in between was just starting to emerge with uh, their own sounds. We're talking about regional sounds, Miami. Houston, New Orleans, Memphis, and Atlanta. Atlanta, Soon to be known as the Dirty South, you know, coming yeah. up with a new vibe in hip-hop that I think the Outkast debut really started to codify it. Like, mm-hmm. here's something that's different from what's going on on the East Coast and West Coast, more rooted in funk, more rooted in sort of a, a psychedelic, trippy vibe. You started to see that coming out with ATLians in 1996, where that trippiness started to uh, creep into their music.
1: Get going, the alienators, cause we different. Keep your hands to the sky. Like sounds of blackness when I practice what I preach don't lie. I'll be the baker and the maker of the piece of my pie. Now break a break a tinfoil, can I get some reply? Now everybody say... hold your hands in the air And wave them like you just don't care And if you like fish and
2: grits and out the pimp fish, Everybody let me make it say, oh yeah, yeah. The Quemini in 1998 double platinum record.
1: I met a gypsy and she hit me to some life game to stimulate and activate the left and right brain. Say baby boy, your only phone can add your last cut. You focus on the past, your ass to be your hands,
2: you noticed something about these first three records, Jim? <laughs> a little draggy. They, they a little dragging and all distinct. Yes. You know, they weren't staying in one place ever. The name of our group, Outcast, we don't, don't want to be categorized. I mean, we, we
1: stress individualism, you know what I'm saying? All day long. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the whole nonconformist way of living is like what we, we did. You have your own flavor. Make your mark on in, in this world as you, like, express your heart, because you're only going to be here for a short time until you go to the other
0: place, you know? By the time they go into the studio in 2000, they've bought their own studio, Stancodia Studio in Atlanta. These are two men who are in their mid-20s, both around 25 Mm -hmm. when they're making this record, which in hip-hop years is ancient. You know, fourth album, most people begin to tune out. These guys are at an interesting point, and they also have their personas firmly established. Anton Patton is big boy, and he is the B-boy, and he is the master freestyler. And, you know, Andre 3000, Benjamin, he considers himself the space cowboy. The different wigs, the the outlandish, he's the freak, but he's also very thoughtful. You know, I went back to interviews from those first three albums, Mm -hmm. and he's you know, big boy's a master freestyler, not Mm me. I have to really think long and hard to write when I'm coming up with my raps. But he'd also begun singing more and more on each of those three albums.
2: True, true. I mean, they were blowing out the stylistic boundary, so it goes from that kind of, okay, We get this. They're kind of in this southern vibe. They're tripping on Parliament Funkadelic and sliding Mm -hmm. the family stone and updating that for the hip hop era. But by the time we get to Stankonia, they're ready to blow the boundaries wide open. That studio, Jim, you'd mentioned Stankonia, that was formerly Bobby Brown's studio. Mm -hmm. They were in that studio recording tracks with TLC earlier in their career. So TLC is this huge group, and here comes Outkast doing some added stuff on the record with the scruffy, hip hop, right? So they reinvent this studio as their own thing. Uh, that is their place to tinker and experiment. Right. Suddenly they're free from this notion of you know punching the clock at the studio and mm-hmm. every hour is adding to your bill that you owe the record company, right? right. Now right. they have their own place and they're able to experiment at will. You know, We should talk about this amazing record because almost every song... Deserves its own show in some ways. There are no two songs alike on this
0: record. Well, you know, let me let me say, I agree uh, mm. that the songs deserve a great conversation. This is not a perfect record, right? Some of the classic albums we have dissected are not necessarily perfect. Number one, it's a little too long. 24 tracks. Number two, it's got seven interludes yes. or skits. Right. Which are completely, you know, when I was uh, like seven, my great uncle Joe. Got me a reel-to-reel tape recorder. And I had endless hours mm-hmm. of fun burping, farting, making all <laughs> sorts of noise in that tape recorder. And, you know, I, I've always thought the hip-hop skit is a waste of time. I want to get to the tracks that matter. And these guys are just having too much fun being goofy. And in some <laughs> cases, uh, inviting friends over and, and being rather offensive in the skits. I mm-hmm. I, I have to program the record minus those seven interludes right and there's what
2: 15 legit tracks and, yes. and they're like amazing in terms of their those diversity and you're right there's a, astounding you know you can rank them one through 15 and say okay here are clearly you know a top tier and then may, maybe a second tier but what i loved was the idea that here was a band you know everybody thought hip-hop guys were you know stylistic they weren't adventurers particularly they had a style and they stuck to that style suddenly you have a band that's like competing with like Revolver by the Beatles. It's that diverse. It's that wild. It's that sprawling. It's their exile on Main Street, you know, compared oh, to any. their
0: Revolver or Pet Sound. Let me tell you what I think is happening. There was this incredible moment in the very late 80s and the early 90s in hip hop where the genre uh, realized no boundaries, mm-hmm. right? And I'm talking about crews like De La Soul, the Beastie Boys of Paul's Boutique, A Tribe Called Quest, and Gangstar. And then Gangsta is ascendant with N.W.A. In 1991, its second album, you know, sells millions and millions of copies. Right. And, and everybody becomes a gangster. And what's more, uh, artists who are trying to color outside those lines, they're dismissed. Hippies, they're backpackers. Right, they're it's not hip-hop. Haters. Right. And I uh, went back to these interviews, as I said, that Antoine and Andre were doing just before Stankonia and just as it was coming out. They were saying two things. Number one, they're tired of the commerciality, musically, in too much hip-hop. They're interested in a lot of things. As, as you said, Sly of the Family Stone, Riot Ooh. going on, Parliament Funkadelic Maggot Brain right. was heavy on the repeat playlist.
3: The
0: but also, lyrically, they kept referencing, both of them in separate interviews, KRS One, mm-hmm. who called himself an edutainer right. at the very dawn of mm-hmm. hip-hop in New York.
1: Are you really for peace and equality? Or with my car up, you know you want to follow me. Your because you won't even think about looking at the real
0: primitive. He right. thought it was part of hip-hop was to speak out about politics, about social issues, about class, about race. Right, right. And
2: you know, the other thing too was there was almost an avant-garde approach to the production. They weren't just going traditional. They were right up to the moment. Techno, ambient, drum and Uh, bass, drawing on all those electronic rhythms. I mean, Aphex Twin was going like, hmm, really interesting record, you know? You know,
0: (laughs) a critical shorthand for looking at Stankonia is that OutKast discovered rave culture. Mm -hmm. In those interviews, they are talking about going to raves. They are talking about wanting to up the beats per minute in hip-hop, which had settled into these kind of laid-back cruising grooves, right, right, dramatically to what they heard on the dance floor at raves.
2: Well, especially when you consider the preceding record, where they were doing a lot of those dub reggae kind of laid-back, you know, let's smoke one and, you know, (laughs) get (laughs) laid-back. Suddenly they were amping it up with this record, so there was this Diversity of musical styles that they were in investigating, the fact that Andre 3000 was singing as much as rapping on this record, and, and sometimes de- merging yeah. the two styles on a single song, was hugely important. I thought suddenly it was like hip hop can do anything. It's not a genre; it is popular music. I mean, yeah, going you know, back
0: to where it had been ten years earlier.
2: Absolutely, and I think the mainstream was still kind of like thinking, okay, it's, it's over here in this corner. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting to realize it could be everything. And, and that was the vision of this
0: band, I think. 15 central tracks to the album. You know, there is so much musical and lyrical ground covered. I think the best way for us to dig into it is to talk about a couple of songs each, a couple of what we consider the key tracks.
2: Right. Why don't you start us off? Well, you would mentioned, you know, let's ramp up the beats per minute. B.O.B. ramps up the beats per minute. We're at 155 BPM. You would not hear 155 beats per minute on any hip-hop track up until this day, unless I'm, I'm missing one, but I sure as heck did not hear not in the mainstream like that. And here it was, released as a single, and a hugely successful single. You know, the one thing that I think about when I listen to this record, I mean, there are some laid-back tracks, it's kind of jittery. It's kind of like they're almost frantic on this record, breaking them fully out of that Dirty South cliche mode and into something totally different. This song, typical Andre 3000 vibe, typical Outkast vibe, double edged. You hear bombs over Baghdad." Oh, it's an anti-war song. Yeah. Well, it's an anti-war song, but where's the war? And if you start paying attention to the lyrics in this record, you're thinking, oh, it's about what's going on in the ghetto. Bombs over Baghdad, but the bombs over Baghdad are just as applicable to what's going on in the inner city in America right now. In slum national underground. That's this was a manifesto, you know, right at the top of the track, telling us where he's heading, where this is located. And then you have that incredible fusion of those synthesizers, those P-funk guitars you mentioned eddie hazel guitar as a maggot brain reference point here the gospel voices the rapid fire clapping the incredibly frantic techno beats underneath what was going on here musically a huge melange of sounds somehow coalesced into this inescapable hit single truly remarkable piece of music that i think you listen to it 20 years later and it still sounds (laughs) mind-blowing
1: Then I might catch you a spell Look at what came in the mail I'm The street Slam back, Cadillac, five in the D, 75 MCs, freestyle into the D, cause we get crossed, stay drunk, at the club. Shoulda bought an ounce, but you caught the dub. Shoulda held back, but you told the punch. Supposed to meet you girl, but you packed the lunch. No G yeah. to the U to the G for you. Got a son on the way by the name of Bamboo. Got a little baby girl, four year Jordan. Never turn my back on my kids for them. Shoulda hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. Rad Rad Top, top. Boy, you laugh. Make a bidding for yourself boy. set some goals Make a fat dime out of dusty and cold Record number four, but well, we on the road Hold up, slow up, stop, control Like Janet, planet, stake on the Estonia, Moving like floor, come straight to Florida Lock all like your windows, and block quarters Put it up on bell, cause the women's in order Like a three-piece bitch for a cut, your daughter Your talk toggle Bell, then I hit the border Pity-pap rapper, trying to get the 5 i my a microphone fiend, trying to stay alive When you come to ATL, boy, you bet not high Cause the Dungeon Family gon' ride. <laughs>
0: The immortal B.O.B. bombs over Baghdad. Outkast had purchased uh, Bobby Brown's old studio. Mm -hmm. You know, ensconced in that studio, they are Lennon and McCartney, and their George Martin is Mr. DJ. Mm -hmm. It's a tight unit. They're working with him as a producer, but really everybody's doing everything.
2: Yeah. Organized noise is in there as well. They're old-time partners. You know, it's rare. Hip-hop records, usually it was just a different producer for every track. But I think they were going back to the P.E. model, you know? Uh, Yeah. In... We've got the Bomb Squad over here, they know what they're doing, they're incredibly inventive too. They're almost like an art entity in themselves. Like, they, yeah. they were so creative. And, and the same thing with Mr. DJ and the Organized Noise guys, they know what they're doing, they know us, they're incredibly creative, we let them go nuts in the studio. Uh, I part. think of something like Tomorrow Never
0: Knows, and that sound of the backward guitar that George Harrison had recorded, run through a Leslie speaker, it sounds right. like seagulls. Right. I have been wondering, Uh, what that noise was at the beginning of the next song I'm going to talk about, which is Ms. Jackson, also a single, also a hit. And I finally went down one of those rabbit holes. Bongo drums, but played in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Ms. Jackson is a beautiful ballad. It is a strikingly melodic song. Dre's vocal is truly impressive. The reason I made the point that they were both in their mid-20s at this point is that they had had some life under their belts, Mm -hmm. Greg. There had been relationships. There had been children, children out of wedlock. There had been ruined relationships. Mm -hmm. There had been anger and there had been love. And Miss Jackson is a song which I think we wouldn't see the likes of it until a few years later with Kanye West, Mm -hmm. where he begins to talk heartfully about what his mother meant, what his grandmother meant to him. This is Dre addressing the mother of his child born out of wedlock Mm -hmm. as the fruit of a relationship with Erica Badu, which did not end well. (laughs) Now, they had mended fences by the time Stanconia came out because Erica Badu makes a uh, cameo appearance on the track Humble Mumble. Um, but there were some tough times in the beginning, and Dre is apologizing to. He came up with Ms. Jackson because it was such a common name mm-hmm. in the in the black community. Uh, talking to Eric Badu's mother, and saying, you know, he he did her wrong. Never meant to make your daughter cry, mm-hmm. you know. But he's gonna he's gonna man up. He's gonna be a dad. Mm-hmm. And that relationship didn't work, but he's gonna deliver. Apparently, Big Boy had had situations like that in his life as well. Erica Badu herself was not too thrilled when she first heard this song. But there are interviews <laughs> subsequently done with her mom, mm-hmm. who said, A, I should get part of the publishing. And B, I, I think got a license plate on her car that said Ms. Jackson. Ms. Jackson yeah. yeah, right.
2: <laughs> so it was okay with her. That's awesome. My
1: baby is drama, Mama. Don't like me. Things like having the boys come from her neighborhood to the studio trying to fight me She need to get a piece of American Pie and take her bite out That's my house I disconnect the cable and turn the lights out And let her know her grandchild is a baby and not a paycheck Private school, daycare, these medical bills, I pay that I love your mom and everything See, I ain't the only one who lay down She want to rip you up and start a custody war my lawyer, stay down She never got a chance to hear my side of the story, we was divided She had fish fries and cookouts for my child's birthday, I ain't invited despite it I show her the utmost respect when I fall through All you, do is defend that lady when I call you I'm sorry, Miss Jackson Ooh, I
3: am Marie.
1: Nine. Now if I find fine, the quickest muzzle throw it on my mouth, and I'll decline. King meets queen, then the puppy love thing together. Dream about that core with the good swing on the oak tree. I hope we feel like this forever, 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 ever, forever, ever. Forever never seems that long until you're grown. And notice that the day-by-day ruler can't be too wrong. Miss Jackson, my intentions were good. I wish I could become a magician to Africa, Deborah, all the sadder. Thoughts of me, thoughts of she. Thoughts of he asking what happened to the villain that her and me had. I pray so much about it, need some knee pads. It happened for a reason. One can't be mad. So know this, know that everything's cool. And yes, I will be present on the first day of school and graduation. Sorry, Miss Jackson.
0: Oh, Miss Jackson.
2: I just love that song. Miss Jackson's an undeniable classic, and again, one of those songs that cut across lines of genre, demographics, generation. I mean, it was just a
0: huge single. Everybody seemed to know it when it came out. After a short break, we'll explore a few more tracks from Stankonia and look for its influence on music today. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And this week, we are taking a close look at Outcasts' fourth album, Stankonia. Greg, what song do you want to highlight next? So Fresh, So Clean, another single. I mean, these songs are signposts of an era.
2: And again, hold up incredibly well. In So Fresh, So Clean, in some ways, one of the more conventional tracks on the record, but done so well when I first heard this song, so lush, you know, so beautiful in a lot of ways, so smooth, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like Earth, Wind & Fire or the Isley Brothers at their coolest, oh, smoothest, yeah, yeah. you know? It had that sort of 70s romantic vibe or cool vibe, like, man, these guys are just the coolest people in the room right now, mm-hmm. you know? And this is a celebration of that swag and that swagger that they have. Unlike some of the more high-minded subject matter on the rest of this album, this is just pure boasting, you know, in yeah. some ways, but yeah. in a way that's not like it's clever. I mean, Big Boy probably doesn't get as much love as Andre because Andre is being celebrated as, you know, the cerebral one. The, the, yeah. the, the lyricist says, Big Boy is equally cerebral, just in a different way. His lines on this song are... I mean, the guy owns it, you know, yeah, Teddy Pendergrass cooler than Freddie Jackson, sipping a milkshake in a snowstorm, you know, it's like he's <laughs> yeah, just <right>. reeling <laughs> off these lines about how cool he is. And you, you can't help but a admire it or, or laugh with him about how, you know, the boastfulness, but being dazzled by the boastfulness and just a beautiful song, just a wonderful we're going out to the club, we're having a good time, we're enjoying ourselves to me. What OutKast was doing on this record was showing the complete breadth of what it meant to be an African-American in 2000. Oh, absolutely. Like the entire experience of that was in this record.
0: I hate to dwell on their ages, right? But I teach 18 to 22-year-olds at college, right? Yeah. By 25, you know, you've learned a lot more than at 22. And I think if someone says to us, what are the themes of Stanconia? We're talking sexuality, we're talking politics, we're talking misogyny, we're talking every element of African-American culture. The whole smorgasbord, parenthood, introspection. This record is experimental, but it's also wise. It's steeped in erotica. There's yeah. a few tracks we cannot talk and about, also, and but also, it's also shy. Right. It's also like, I, I, I still yeah. don't know everything.
2: Behind it all is the struggle. You know, yes. Every song recognizing that it's different. If you're African American in America, your experience is different from other people that live here. And sort of spotlighting that, but it's not a pity party, feel sorry for me. It's just, here it is, here's who we are. So Fresh, So Clean is a beautiful evocation of that. Here it is on Sound Opinion.
1: Gator belts and Patty melts and Monte Carlos, and El Dorado. So I'm waking up out of my slumber, feeling like Rollo, so follow. It's Showtime, and Apollo, minus the Kiki Shepherds, with about a hoe and a leopard print. Teddy, Pendergrass, cooler than Freddie Jackson, sipping a milkshake in a snowstorm. Left I the warm in the dorm room at the AU. We blew hate to athletes might cake you, but you must have me mistaken with them statements that you make, on display. My again, Bongo hooked it up. Oh my, i dip my rim today, so get it. ride out to the honeycomb, hide out. I'm going to show you how to wild out like Jack Tripper. Let me be Bambino on your slippers. YKK on your zipper. Lick you like a lizard when I'm slizzing. A sober. Six million ways to fold you. Like what I get two of and you get pretty cheap But I call you fat when I'm 80s. I know you'll be there for me, girl.
2: That is so fresh, so clean from Outcast, uh, built on a Joe Simon sample, an iconic song before the night is over. Take
1: my in and my love.
2: This whole idea of club culture in, in uh in the African American community well, in specifically particular Southern yes, club culture. Watching their parents, you know. -hmm. Enjoy this life. In Chicago, as you know, South Michigan Avenue, those clubs were hopping, you know, stepping, Mm -hmm. step dancing, you know, all those kind of things that were happening in the club. This is how we relax. This is how we are entertained. This is how we kick back and be ourselves in these clubs. So that was a culture that they were trying to reference in a song like this. And consistently, you see this dialogue between their parents and their grandparents' generation and what their generation is going through. They're talking to each other in this record. You know, it's
0: not just about us. It's about this whole community going back generations. And sometimes, Greg, they are talking smack. Again, as I said at the beginning with the seven skits, I also want to point out this is not a perfect album. I have problems with some of the language and some of the attitudes. I'm thinking of a track uh, that's almost a toss-off, Gangsta S, right? Mm. I mean, that doesn't need to be on this record. And it's tired and it's played I have problems with the B-word popping up and the N-word and uh, sometimes gratuitously. But these are guys, again, in their mid-20s. Yeah. And they are working toward figuring things out, responsibilities and attitudes. And every once in a while, they're back to being those drunken frat boys, you know, this southern sure. uh, hot, part Atlanta of equivalent of it. It's an album about growth, uh, growing as a human being. And I think that it builds to toilet tissue. Which is a striking example of empathy and maturity, mm. again, the same way as Miss Jackson is. It comes towards the end of the record. It is a true collaboration between Big Boy and Andre 3000, in that uh, Dre sings the first two thirds of the song. Have you heard the news today?
3: Mm-hmm. Sell the baby, what way. For to bear. And that type of news to a mama she cannot spare.
0: And then uh, Big Boy comes in at the end with a rap uh, that really ties it up.
1: The unthinkable. Moments away from becoming reality, sadly with no clue, and no way of expressing her feelings to her mama or anybody else in her life. To the crossroads. And, now she got to
0: choose. and this is a story. I've read hip hop heads say that this is Outkast trying to do a modern update of Tupac's "Brenda's Got a Baby." Mm-hmm. Right, the story of a 14 year old girl who is pregnant. This is overwhelming her emotionally, and and she's not ready for it. You know, she is in the bathroom, and so this idea of you know giving birth. Uh, underage, I- in a bathroom, or or being disposable. Nobody matters mm-hmm. less in our society than young black girls. The play on toilet tissue, toilet-tisha, and what happens in the end, you know, it's not emphatic. I think that if we have seven or eight careful listeners, half of them will say, she kills herself, she takes her own life, mm-hmm. unprepared to face this. And others uh, will say that, in fact, her life is over in some ways, but right. she gets through it. I don't know what I think after all these years of listening to Toilet Tisha. I'm not certain what happens, but I know that both of these artists, in their differing ways, Big Boy, the B-Boy, Andre the Space Cowboy, have tremendous empathy for this young woman and what she's going mm-hmm.
1: 110 days is a short period of time—a mere 14 years on this precious Mother Earth. You see, Tisha had issues, and her decision-making skills were still in its early stages. You know what I'm talking about? Therefore, she could not properly handle a blessing in which she thought to be an obstacle in her path to adulthood. just like a rubber with a thousand pauses should I shouldn't I I can't I have to mama will never see me the same daddy and big mama I know all them gonna be ashamed to me are just a few thoughts raising through her cranium as she sits on top of the pale cold porcelain seat in the rear of the house the unthinkable moments away from becoming reality sadly with no clue No way of expressing her feelings to her mama or anybody else in her life. Tisha done came to the crossroads. And now she got to choose.
0: Toilet Tisha, what a track, huh, Greg?
2: Well, we just played So Fresh, So Clean, and then into Toilet Tisha. You talk about a 180 separation. You've got this kind of joyous moment of celebration, and then... You've got one of the darkest pieces of pop music, you know, yeah. of, the, of the 2000s there
0: in Toilet uh, Fisher. Same contrast between B.O.B. and Ms. Jackson. I mentioned the cameo by Erica Badu earlier, uh, two other notable cameos. There's a lot of Outkast friends come and go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, nobody ever really takes the spotlight off of Outkast. They mm-hmm. have friends coming in and out. Right. The other two of note are Killer Mike and CeeLo, mm-hmm. you know, before CeeLo right. had become huge, CeeLo right. Green. I think that shows that even at this time on their fourth album, in the midst of this creative spurt, OutKast was influencing everything around them. There were certainly people in the EDM. It wasn't called EDM then, kids. It was Rave. Mm -hmm. But the dance world were listening and talking about them. And ever since, I want to talk about some of the artists I think owe a huge debt Outcast, both in terms of their approach lyrically and certainly their invention musically. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing it in Kendrick Lamar.
1: One question. It where you and I was walking. Now I run a game, got the whole world talking. King Kunta. Everybody want to cut the legs off him. Kunta. Black man taking no loss. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm hearing it in sure. Anderson Pock.
1: get too high now, sugar, come on.
0: I'm hearing it uh, certainly in Janelle Monet And childish Gambino mm-hmm. but if we talk about the really inventive underground side of r and b today, I hear the weekend being influenced by OutKast, and I hear Frank Ocean
1: What if the sky and the stars are for sure? The aliens are watching live from the purple matter.
2: Yeah, for sure. There's no doubt that a number of artists who are now considered superstars, how could Beyonce, you know, avoid Mm. being influenced by this? The eclecticism of her records, I think, draw a lot from outcast inspiration. Like, oh, you can do this. Why put any limitations on yourself at all? And, you know, when people talk about Southern hip-hop, which became incredibly huge in the 2000s especially... Ludicrous TI Clips, Lil John yeah. Killer Mike as we mentioned now one half of run the jewels.
1: i be show run the jewels.
0: Young Jeezy, CeeLo, you'd mentioned him Migos now. Yeah. You know, straight line back to this record. You know, Greg we're doing a classic album dissection obviously. But uh, it's worth talking for a minute about Outcast Live at this point in time mm-hmm. and then also what followed, Stanconia. I had my mind well and truly blown, having admired the band earlier, seeing them open for Lauren Hill, I mm-hmm. believe, at the Chicago Theater. Do you remember yeah, that show? I do. Holy cow! Yeah, now, Lauren Hill is at the height of the miseducation moment, mm-hmm. right? All the anticipations about her—it's only the real hip-hop heads in attendance there. But you know, Chicago Theater's a classy venue of 3,500. It's a real mixed crowd there, and everybody was blown away that night. I can't—I can't
2: believe we still saw Lauren Hill and Outkast in a venue the same. of that size. <laughs> what was interesting to me about Outkast at this point in their career is they could do anything, they could go anywhere. They were—they're were becoming hugely influential and would become more influential, it seemed, as time passed. But the point being that this was the last record where Big Boy and Andre 3000 were truly collaborating because the follow-up record, a masterpiece in its own right, and probably even better known than this record, Speak Brock's The Love Below, double record. 2003. With each each getting their own side, right? Their own disc. And, you know, i got to say, Big Boy raised his game the big boy tracks held their own against the um, Andre 3000 tracks. It was a masterpiece. It's shake it like a Polaroid picture, you know? I mean, yeah. your grandma knows that song, you know? <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, it's one of those records. You know what I compare it to? It was Stevie Wonder, uh, Songs in the Key of Life after that string of four masterpieces. Then he makes his kind of Blown out, kind of double record, yeah, that's kind of sprawling. And there's a few things on that Stevie record that okay, Ooh, yeah. aren't 100%, but it's still a masterpiece. I, I, and I think the speaker box, Love Below, even though it wasn't the brilliant collaboration that Stanconia was, is still
0: a great record. And then, well, know, well, I, mean, I gotta interject though, yeah. that uh, it broke my heart then when it came out. Because of the lack of collaboration. broke your heart. It broke my heart. I was really disappointed yeah. because I wanted them to be working together as one finely tuned machine as they had on Stanconia. There are certainly moments on Speakerbox, Love Below, that, that I think stand up. But it felt to me like Let It Be, a sad coda, or like the White Album, yeah. where people are pulling in different directions. Like, what is Rocky Raccoon I didn't, doing I didn't on hear the anything. same record as, as Revolution? I didn't hear know?
2: anything sad about it. I think when they got into the movie world... Uh, after uh, that, well, that was yeah. where things started to. Can we agree that
0: Idlewild in 2006? Yeah. The I mean,
2: soundtrack, the movie. They wanted to try something new, and I think they kind of hit, hit a wall. Yeah. When you make five great albums, you know, good to masterpiece records in a row at the start of your career, you're, uh, I mean, what more can you ask? I mean, it's, uh, it was oh, a great run. Yeah. I don't run, mean to be greedy. Know? And I think Andre 3000 kind of saw, it. you know, he's very honest about. If I can't do it at that level and be inspired at that level to do it, I'm not going to do it. And I wish more artists thought that way, you know, instead of just phoning it in because obviously he could do greatest hits tours till the yeah, end of time yeah, 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 and yeah. probably
0: sell out arenas, you know. Well, I wish more artists gave us an album as uh, as timeless as Stankonia. Stankonia.
2: What do you think of Stanconia? Where do you hear its influence in music today? Call our hotline at 888-859-1800 and share your thoughts. When we come back, we're going to hear what song got Caroline Polachek hooked on Sonics. And Jim will add a song to the Desert Island
0: Jukebox. Jim, where's your head at today with that? Greg, uh, in honor of the uh, oncoming Easter season, I'm going to go to a genre I actually generally despise, (laughs) but I'm making an exception with this one. I am uh, breathless with anticipation. I know you are. That's
2: in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. (laughs) Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim DeRogatis. And now it's time for another edition of Hooked on Sonics. In this series, artists talk about uh, what song got them interested in making music as a career. This week, we're going to talk to Caroline Polachek. She's the singer-songwriter who began her career as one half of that synth-pop band Chairlift. Last year, she released her first solo album under her own name called Pang. On the record, Polachek showcases her clever storytelling
0: and uh, catchy electronic pop sensibilities. Our producer Alex Claymoren caught up with Caroline when she was in town this past January to hear about the buried treasure of a song that got her hooked on Sonics.
4: My name is Caroline Polachek, and I make electronic pop music with hyper expressive vocals. I think that's the best way to describe what I do. The song that got me hooked on Sonics is Raffles in Rio by Mark Isham. But there's also a link between this kind of music that this album is from and what I do as well, which is kind of in the musical environments, the landscapes of the production. And you can kind of hear that link in the title track off my new album called Pang. So I went to university in Colorado, in Boulder, and when I first got there, like most broke college students, I was trying to figure out how to decorate my dorm, which was a very kind of sad-looking dorm, so I went to Goodwill, and I was digging through their $1 albums because I thought, well, at least this stuff is like art. There's so many beautiful covers in here that at least I can just put up covers of albums that I've never even heard that just look cool, and I ended up with some weird Polish folk records from the 50s because the girls had cool dresses and then I found this one album that looked like like really kind of chic minimal early 80s design like the cover was almost entirely white and it had this vertical window slashing through it that was airbrushed but it looked almost iridescent the way this like really minimal design had been done it was so beautiful and I thought like there's something about this that's really compelling I want this on my wall. So I bought this album called Vapor Drawings by Mark Isham and I tacked it up, I put thumbtacks through it, the corners of it, and I put it on my dorm wall and I just enjoyed it as art for a year until I moved out of the dorms. And it wasn't until the next year when I actually bought a record player, also probably from Goodwill, and put this album on that I realized this was probably one of my new favorite records. clear, very kind of crystalline, and reminded me of of film music, which I later discovered made perfect sense, because after making this album, Mark Isham went on to become one of the kind of most important current film composers in America. Instead of just being kind of existing in this pure electronic world, it's laced with these swaths of trumpet that go through it, and trumpet was an instrument that I was never particularly into and always kind of thought was corny. But the way Mark Isham uses trumpet all over this record is it just feels like a little flag at at a mountaintop, like really understated but victorious and emotional. And I just listened to this album all the time. And because there were no lyrics in it, unlike most of the music I listened to at the time was vocal— I could study to it, and I rinsed this album. I listened to it on like over and over and over again. When I transferred to NYU, moved to New York, started a band, this album came with me and was on repeat in my apartment while I'd stay up for, like, two or three nights at a time, cramming for um, tests I hadn't studied for because I was too busy practicing with my band, chairlift at the time. And up until that point, you know, the kind of, like, indie model had been my kind of immediate point of aspiration, But this Mark Eisham album was doing something else. Like, this was definitively hi-fi music. There was nothing crude about this. There was nothing raw about it. It was HD, finessed, beautiful audio. And I think this gave me a very separate point of reference, too, that even in a kind of DIY scene in Brooklyn, once I moved there, I was always very interested in these kind of smooth, vast kinds of sonics. The tale takes another twist. When I began writing this album called Pang, I kind of went back to the drawing board and I was like, if I could work with anyone in the world right now who I'd work with, well, I want to work with Mark Isham. But he's a very busy man. He scores like four or five major films a year. And just getting a meeting with him, it was actually even very difficult. took about six months of my manager trying to get a hold of his team before... I got a call in the middle of a session saying, Mark can meet with you tonight, midnight, rooftop of the Ace Hotel. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And I had a fundraiser that I was performing at. I was on stage at 10. And the whole time I was performing, I was like, I just have to be on time for this meeting with Mark Aisham. And we finally met on the rooftop of this hotel. And I sat him down. He was, like, you know, wearing a suit, um, much, you know, like, in his 60s. And I was like... Um, it's wow! It's so nice to meet you. You've been such a massive influence on me, and I'm uh, we're we're going to make a record together. And he was like, uh, interesting. Tell me more. He didn't shoot it down, but he, I think he thought it was very precocious. And um, we ended up in we ended up chatting for hours that night. And sure enough, a week later, I was at a studio, and and we were writing together. And this was in 2000, the spring of 2017, and we wrote actually a handful of songs that I was sure were going to become the foundation of my new album, but what ended up happening is those songs sounded so different than everything else I made that I realized I needed to put them aside and build them their own home eventually, rather than trying to mush them in with um, what ended up being a, a whole body of other songwriting I did. So that stuff is simmering on the back burner, and Mark is now like a dear friend of mine, and in a lot of ways a, a mentor and personal hero.
0: That was Caroline Polachek talking about "Raffles in Rio" by Mark Isham, the song that got her hooked on Sonics. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched.
2: As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island, pop a quarter in the desert island jukebox, and play a track we cannot live without. Jim, you're swimming
0: out to that island right now. What do you got for us? Uh, Greg. You know, uh, as a matter of uh, course, I, I am not a fan of musical theater. <laughs> I think both you and I have dissed that genre because of its hamminess, which seems uh, inherently anti-rock. However, we have also made the point, uh, being voracious music lovers, that no genre can be dismissed entirely. Yeah, I, I, I can take people to a northwest side polka bar and have their minds blown with three 85-year-old polka musicians in Chicago. <laughs> Every genre has something to get you excited. I make... Uh, a. Generally, uh, two exceptions in musical theater for uh, records I will listen to for pleasure. One is Rocky Horror Picture Show. The other is Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, I kind of thought you would go there. Now, see, because Jesus Christ Superstar began as a rock album, people forget this or don't know the history. 1970, this struggling young songwriter, Andrew Lloyd Webber, he's the melody guy, and lyricist Tim Rice, they cobbled together a bunch of songs they had laying around and or they steal some others, Mm -hmm. uh, including from Bach. (laughs) And uh, they put together this idea of let's do a concept album with a library based on parts, bits, and pieces of all four Gospels will tell the story of Christ, right? Christ's crucifixion, those those crucial last days. Um, and it, this is a, a rather cheesy idea. They are part of the London theater world, and so they tap some theater actors, but they also tap some real musicians. Um, Most of the music on the original Jesus Christ Superstar 1970 record comes from the Grease Band, which had been out on the road uh, backing uh, Joe Cocker. They were a serious group. They were Mm a rock band. They tap For Christ. Ian Gillen, Mm. who had just been hired uh, as the lead singer of Deep Purple. And Yvonne Elliman plays Mary Magdalene, and she will go on to a great career in disco, right? So I think, uh, and this may just be my rock bias, but the album that's released in 1970, which goes on to sell uh, 8 or 9 million copies, despite being banned by the BBC Mm. and condemned by the Catholic Church (laughs) for sacrilege, you know, um, before it gets to Broadway and then eventually to Hollywood, and there are soundtracks of all those productions. Uh, it, 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 there's more rock in it. Yeah. And the is song, which I'm going to play uh, in honor of Easter from Jesus Christ Superstar, let's be clear, this is pretty darn cheesy, this Jesus must die. <laughs> and it isn't very rock vocals, because where in rock do you have that basso profundo mm-hmm, yeah. of the uh, Pharisees? You know, there's a whole lot of nonsense up top, right? And it, the song takes a while to get going. And then it rocks with a vengeance when uh, that you have this discussion between the Pharisees, right? What then to do about Jesus of Nazareth, miracle wonder man, hero of fools? The thing that's interesting, there's no riots, no arms me, no fighting, no slogans. Caiaphas. <laughs> One thing I'll say for him, Jesus is cool. <laughs> the idea of a cool, nonviolent revolutionary. This is cheesy. Jesus Christ superstar. <laughs> this Jesus must die.
3: What did they do about Jesus of Nazareth? Miracle, wonder man, hero, fool. No riots, no army, no fighting, no slogans.
0: One thing I'll say for him, Jesus is cool.
3: We did not own devices his half-witted fans will get out of control but how can we stop
1: him his glamour increases by leaps every minute he's top of the world. i see bad things arising the crowd crowning king which the romans would ban i see blood and destruction our elimination because of one man Blood and destruction because of one man Because, because, because of one man Our elimination because of one man Because, because, because of one, cause, of one, 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 cause, of one man
0: This Jesus must die. I know that uh, Easter's not until April 12th, but you're already dying eggs. Uh, no, I'm not, Jim. But <laughs> good try. I could use some of them Reese's peanut butter <laughs> eggs right yeah. now. What do we have on the show next week, Greg?
2: Next week, Jim, we are going to do a record review roundup of some of the most
0: anticipated releases of the spring. As always, Greg Sound Opinions is produced by our ACE team of Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill.
4: In the sons of an ancient seed, yeah.
2: Don't call me up. I'm going out tonight. Feeling good now. You're out of my life. Don't want to talk about us. Gotta leave it behind. One drinking out of my mind. I'm not to get up.
1: But I'm here up in
2: the club, and i don't want talk So don't
0: call me up On I'm Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time right to hear away. what you have to say.
3: And on New phone, messages. Na, na, na. Me hey, Jim and Greg, this is Chris calling from New York. Uh, just listened to your show about songs about animals. And the first song I thought of was about a mythological animal, which in my world is a real animal it's he bite me by the meters it's a song about a dragon and the knights of the round table and how the dragon keeps biting the narrator and it seems pretty obnoxious but it's a great funky song and uh yeah i really enjoyed the episode thanks so much bye the
2: dragon.
3: This is Bradley from Dover, Ohio. Just heard your program on animals and songs. Don't know how you could have left out or forgotten Simon and Garfunkel's contribution uh, to music called At the Zoo.
1: Zebras are reactionaries. Antelopes are missionaries. in secrecy. And hamsters
3: which contains a whole bunch of animal references comparable to different types of fascinating people. Take care. Enjoy your show every week. Hey, this is Jason from Brooklyn, and I just listened to your. Animals in Music episode really enjoyed it. The one that popped out for me of course was Half Shark Half Alligator Half Man by Dr. Octagon Cool Keith as Dr. Octagon I remember when I first heard that album and it just sort of blew my brain open and that song in particular really kind of altered me, altered my mental chemistry so uh, that would be my little personal favorite. want to say thank you for what you're doing. appreciate the show
0: very much uh, Bye from Brooklyn my
1: thoughts, fly from my appetite's more big. It's time for I Adjust my skulls. Seven eyes, switch hydraulics, turtles and shrimps. Mac gorillas, make them limp. Half shark, alligator, man. Half shark, alligator, half man.
3: Greg and Jim's Connor Taff calling from Lawrence, Kansas. Love your show. Had a song about animals that I wanted to share. Bungle in the Jungle by Jethro Tull literally starts off with a roar of what I would assume is a lion and proceeds to tell the story about the jungle down by the waterhole. drunk every Friday, eating their nuts, saving the raisins for Sunday, lions and tigers who wait in the shadows. They're fast, but they're lazy and sleep in green meadows, man. It, they just cover all the bases here and you cannot go wrong with some of those awesome guitar solos and that flute by Mr. Ian Anderson. So Bungle the Jungle, Jethro Toll, some prog rock magic for you, animal style. Keep up the great work, guys. Love your show.
2: Good afternoon. My name is Charles, and calling from Richmond, Virginia, actually traveling through Clarksville, Virginia. Came across your podcast for the very first time on 91.5. Wow, that's all I can say. The show was phenomenal. We're talking about songs dealing with animals, and when you talked about dead prayers and uh, the animal and man, I was like, I can't believe somebody else has actually listened to that album besides me. This is the animal that man. This is the animal this is the animal This was a great show. I'm going to be looking for your podcast online when I want to get stationary. Please keep up the good work. Goodbye.
3: No more messages.
2: To give us your opinions on sound opinions, call our hotline 888 859 1800. We'll be back next week with more sound opinions produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.